I wanted to issue a content warning for this episode. If you have seen this episode before, you know that one character engages in self-harm, and we briefly talk about that event happening in this episode. If you feel like this is something that may affect you, then I would recommend possibly skipping this episode of DOTRR. Thank you. Hello and welcome to the death of the Roman Republic's review of the 2005 HBO original series, Rome. Death of the Roman Republic, Season 1, Episode 10, Triumph. Um, if I still sound a little ill, it's possibly because I am. It's. I really think, though, that watching last episode nearly killed me, which is why I say I can never <laughs> watch it again. But... This episode, we have BP taking a triumphant lead and his last time uh, taking the lead hosting this season of DOTRR Reviews HBO's Roman. Maybe posthumously, I should mention that Jacob has, he's gone. I thought, I I was thinking about that the other day. I was like, that (laughs) that probably was my last time doing that. And I I wrote forever about it. So And and any audio you hear Jacob talking right now, that's an AI uh, that we fed him. Jacob actually passed away Mm -hmm. in like his third car accident. (laughs) 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 Sounds really dark. I don't know why I said that. Third car accident too. The specificity. Oh, excellent. Um, all right, BP, you got this. Hit uh what happened in Triumph? Well, I want to give the writer a shout out, Adrian Hodges, as well as the director, Alan Taylor. And the reason I want to give those two a shout out, even though Alan Taylor is a director alert, I just want to mention that he would later work on work with Ray Stevenson, who plays Polo in the show later on in Thor The Dark World, because Ray Stevenson is Volstagg, a.k.a. one of the Warriors 3 in the Thor trilogy. Uh, We open in the Senate. Brutus and Cicero are discussing how this is essentially a funeral for them as they talk are about to make a big sanction for Caesar to stay in power. Cicero claims that he after this, he is going to retire to the country. Cicero feels that this is not honorable, but Brutus argues that they don't have honor. And if they have it, then then they would be with Scipio and Cato in the afterlife. I well, I, I want to clarify real quick, BP. I think Cicero says the the only honorable thing to do is to retire to not be a part of Caesar's government after they confirm him and and everything. I it, it's funny how they spend like you said, it's like a funeral. Yeah, this Senate meeting they're going to, they do describe it in terms of a deathly illness befalling the Republic. And Brutus is like still kind of a denial that things are working as they should under Caesar, or maybe he's too tired to fight. And Cicero, to a degree, is also too tired to fight, and he wants to get up and leave because his republic is dying, and Brutus doesn't seem to care about that too much. It was a funeral for the republic. It was very sad. It all Because the very first line of this episode, Brutus says, quite long faces, I see. Mm-hmm. Caesar and Antony entered the Senate, the lovely old man, I am blanking on his name at the moment, but introduced. We haven't gotten it. I don't think. Got it. Curel Adile, I think. Curel yeah. Magistrate. He introduces Cicero. Cicero makes the motion to make Caesar Emperor of Rome for at least 10 years. The applause. Well, is- wait, well, hold on, hold on, hold on. Was the word emperor used? Because if so, I forgot that. It was not. Okay, okay, just checking. It'd be a big jump from emperor, but yeah, yeah. The applause is. Very scattered at first, but Brutus stands up and seconds the motion, saying that they let bygones be bygones, and it's met 
much more positively now. It is officially unanimous. Uh, and Caesar knows that many in the Senate fought against him, even wishing him dead. But he states that he seeks no revenge. He has only one demand is that they join him to offer everyone a new Rome, one that offers justice, peace, and land to all citizens, not just the elites. Caesar claims that all divisions will be forgiven if they help, but anyone who refuses, it means that forgiveness will not be offered a second time. Caesar receives a standing ovation, and they gather around him, and Brutus hugs Caesar. Jacob. So, Brutus gives a speech, right? And that's kind of what gets everyone to jump on board. And within that speech, it is a good speech. It's well-delivered, articulate, all that jazz. But he does says, he says something to the extent of, uh, or extent of um, Julius Caesar and I, we've had our disagreements. And I, that kind of struck me as like, have they really? Like, I know very visually, like they are on opposite sides of the war, I guess. But like, they've always gotten along before that and after that. So I don't know if I was missing something or you guys just thought it was because of the war thing. If I may put my two cents into it. I think it's more of a lot of the senators kind of look at, may just look at things at face value and think Brutus left to go to Pompey. So therefore they think, oh, Brutus disagreed with Caesar during this fight between Pompey and Caesar. That Mm -hmm. is just my two cents on it, but Cole. I mean, I would say Brutus did disagree with Caesar. That's why he was with Pompey. The whole debate he had in the first couple episodes with Adia was that like I'm a friend to Caesar so I want to like be with him but like I disagree with this I'm on Pompey's side here so I think it, it this does stem from like a, the war was like a disagreement they had but like they've remained friends in spite of it hmm. maybe I'm misremembering yeah his origins for going to Pompey's side because for whatever reason in my brain I was like it was out of a convenience or like um practicality thing because uh i don't know leaving rome or i i don't know i you're probably right and my memory is wrong is what i'm trying to say <laughs> i found it interesting with brutus i i have nothing new to add to the points that colin bp spoke to but um when when caesar says senators the war is over brutus is the first one to clap and then they get up and embrace and of course brutus clapping starts the whole applause so we kind of see that brutus like in this political position for the first time where he's uh maybe something of a moderate that's like helps get everyone else on board something like a i don't know a neutral hype man but he's he's trying to show fealty to caesar and bp i'll give you the chance to correct me on a star wars quote here uh i found that caesar was essentially doing that anakin line um on mustafar it's like i brought peace justice prosperity (laughs) to my new empire uh how how did i do there verbatim good job did I? Okay. Okay. Nice. We uh, cut to Servilia, who is asleep, but she is awoken because Atia, uh, much to Servilia's surprise, has arrived to visit. And if I am not mistaken, this is the first time we hear Servilia's first name live on the show, Dominia, correct? Or no. said Dominia. No, Domina is just the Domina. word for master. Um, okay. So, yeah. Thank you. As Atia walks in, we see Servilia, as she is still recovering from the events of the last episode, is being carried out onto a chair to Atia. Uh, Atia utters the phrase Bondia, which means good goddess. Thank you, Google. Atia asks Servilia how she is doing. Servilia claims that they have not found the perpetrators that did this attack, but 
uh, assure Sevilla that justice will find them and is quite certain of it. I love that line because you know <laughs> that Sevilla probably knows that it's Atia and she's just staring her right in the eye like, yeah, I'm sure justice will find whoever's whoever's responsible. Yeah, and Adia isn't like at her most sadistically needling for details for something she already knows about, but it's she she still is like asking these details when it's like, you know, she she's returning mm -hmm. to I don't know, the scene of the crime, like, I mean, yeah. Servilia was basically comatose when, uh, until she got the news that Addie was there, and that gets her up, that Addie has the gall to be in her home. It's, mm -hmm. it's such a bizarre dynamic, because, like, it's, it's very clear to us that Servilia, like, knows Atia's behind it, and Atia's just there trying to play her game, and, like, thinks Servilia a fool and not aware that, like, she's responsible for this all, and it's just, uh, it's very interesting. You know, you say that, Jacob, and I really think that Adia can gain nothing from this. She's really there just to rub salt in the wound, possibly, mm. because, like, I, I, like, yeah, what does she expect to actually gain yeah. from this? What details? I was going to talk about this in my summary, but Adia uh, makes the comment about Brutus being on the side of Caesar. And I think, personally, even though Adia is there to kind of see what she can gain out of this conversation... She also is there to kind of slight Servilia by saying, hey, Brutus talked in the Senate today to give Caesar more power. I am kind of with Kay that there wasn't really anything to be gained by her going there. I think it was just like a, a personal pride thing. She wanted to go there and like see Servilia like at her mm. lowest because of what happened. No, yeah, I did that. And just like just sit there and like be happy about it. That makes sense. Yeah. Yes. Thank you, guys. Uh, this obviously, as I mentioned, Atia makes the comment about Brutus siding back with Caesar. This obviously upsets Servilia. Atia offers Servilia to sit with them at some celebration at a celebration that is coming up uh, with Caesar gaining more power and making promises. And we learn from Servilia that Octavia has left the city of Rome, and no one knows why. Atia is lying, saying that. Octavia is at Atia's cousin's house, uh, cousin's villa, excuse me, and claims that Octavia is mooning over some young uh, fool's poet she met there. That's so gross because Octavian was talking about wanting to be a poet. Like I was yeah. thinking the same thing when she said yeah. that. Uh, but but Addie has a real tone shift. Like when she's asked about yeah. Octavia, it's um she she's back on her heels on the defensive. I also kind of wonder if. Obviously, Servilia has been kind of out of it for a while because of what happened at the end of the last episode being attacked. But I wonder if Octavia ever did any writing to Servilia saying where she was going, because if that's kind of a play on to Adia saying, oh, I know why Octavia is out of the city and things like that. I mean, unless we didn't see that resolution this episode, I would assume yeah. not. But, you know, it's possible. Yeah. I, I was just going to say that Adia insists that Octavia will be back in town for, for Caesar's triumph coming up. Yes. Yes. Octavia is for sure not in Rome, but has put herself in a self-imposed exile after the events of the previous episode where she slept with her brother. This exile is at the temple of Cybele. Did I pronounce that correct? I don't remember this term being brought up. No. But I don't know. Sybil, maybe? Sybil. That's what I thought. She has been going in daily, praying, and cut herself cut herself on her wrist with a knife as she is offering 
to the Great Mother. Octavian arrives to take Octavia back to Rome. Octavian shares that her leaving looks bad on the family and Octavia does not feel her family actually misses her. Octavian does assure that everyone misses her, including their mother and him. However, Octavia refuses to leave, stating, I want to be cleansed of my weakness and filth. I want to be reborn as a pure servant of the great mother. Octavian then forces her to leave and to pick her up and grab her arm. However, notices the cuts on her wrist, asking what she has done. Cole. This might have just been me misinterpreting. I didn't take an Octavia cutting herself as like that was like a part of like the her like service to the like the great mother. I took that as like it was like a just a self-harm thing. I had no idea because at first I thought that maybe it was what that was. But then I was totally like unfamiliar with whatever cult or religion thing was going on here. So I was like, I've, I'm, yeah. at, I'm at a total loss. It could be it. Prob- I mean, probably is, is supposed to kind of mean both. If I were to imagine getting in the heads okay. of the writers of the show. I see it as when she says, I want to be cleansed of my weakness and filth and all that stuff. She is wanting to essentially sacrifice herself by self-harming herself to be in a better life than she has lived currently. Okay. Yeah. Go to Varinus. We see him attempting to give a, to get the attention of the citizens of Aventine. Varinus is making a campaign speech as election. The election is within a few days. Pasca is coaching from one side of Varinus and Niobe is on the other. Uh, Heckler shouts, go back to Gaul, ginger knob. Varinus continues his speech. The audience seems indifferent. The heckler calls out again, and Niobe attempts to give get the heckler to shut up. However, uh, I she 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 screams just like, uh, "Why don't you shut up?" It's like uh, this is like the most uh, shrill she's ever been. Like this is my mm-hmm. funniest moment of the episode. And Pasca's like, "Ladylike." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I gotta say that scene, like just like Adia's reaction, or not Adia, Niobe uh, <laughs> felt kind of out of character right yeah i don't think we've ever seen her react that way to like anything no no definitely i i totally agree and i i think this could be taken as a measure of um niobe and varinus once again like growing closer and everything like that they are Mm -hmm. they have an opportunity to ascend the social hierarchy together and i i think we've seen the past couple episodes that niobe is deeply in love with varinus and wants him to succeed and doesn't like this dude heckling him yeah, mm-hmm. I was just about to share that same thing, Kay, so thank you for sharing that. Varinus continues with a speech. I wouldn't be standing here on Caesar's slate if I didn't believe, if I didn't know that Caesar has only the Republic's best interests at heart. And because of Caesar's triumph, Varinus shares that there will be games and feasts for the next five days. The heckler continues to shout. Pasca gives a signal to some people in the crowd and the heckler is removed. The king of Gauls is dragged to Caesar and Antony naked, and Antony states, makes you think, doesn't it? And Caesar replies, it does. Caesar says goodbye to this man as he is going to be executed at the celebration. He requests that they clean him up, uh, tidy him up, actually, instead of clean him up, tidy him up as he looks deadly already. Jacob. I have two things. One... BP or or the field the field do you recall the name of this man I do oh Cole do you want to hit us with it uh I might be mispronouncing it's something with the effect of Vercingetorix yeah also uh 
I just love that name, so I had to bring it back up. Uh, but this is my funniest moment of the episode because they're like pulling his head up, and I was like, "Oh my gosh, is that a prop? He looks dead. Is he dead?" <laughs> and then like I, one of them, I think is Julius Caesar, is like, "He looks dead already." I was like, "That's what I'm saying. He looks dead." <laughs> This was, like, such a short and good scene, and I did actually just want to talk about it, because, like, I mean, Caesar says, um, he also says goodbye, old friend, to him, um, and I feel like that could be discussed, but more so, I was curious what you guys thought. Antony says, makes you think, doesn't it? And Caesar says to the effect, it sure does. Uh, I was curious, what do you guys think that they are thinking about when they see Vercingetorix brought before them? My th- thought is just, like, it's been a long time actually since like Vercingetorix was relevant in their lives right Mm -hmm. because the conquests in Gaul were at least they were over two years ago at this point and the conquests in Gaul was Caesar was stationed there for what eight years and so maybe it just feels like a past life to them maybe okay yeah that's awesome Jacob I agree with Jacobs uh I was thinking they were like they were like seeing kind of the same thing in a different way like I think Antony was talking about like it, yeah, it makes you think like it like this guy who was like the king of the Gauls, like rendered like a lowly slave to be like executed to like make you look cool later. And I feel like Caesar might have like looked at that as like, yeah, kind of like a how the mighty have fallen and maybe mm-hmm. makes him a little more introspective of his like own place in the world, oh. perhaps. Of like he's like, I don't think this is gonna happen to me, but like I think seeing this kind of puts like this is a thing that theoretically could happen to me. I really like that. Yeah, that this is the fate of leaders. Leaders get made examples of when they fail. And uh, interesting. Also, I didn't have this in my notes, but I do just visually remember it. I just love at the end of the scene that just kind of stare that Mark Antony gives to Vercingetorix. I'm pronouncing that wrong. Vercingetorix. Vercingetorix. Thank you. I just love that little like stare down he's given him at the end of the scene. Going to the next part where they're setting up for the celebration, I loved the cinematography and production design of this entire thing as they're setting up. I know we'll see it a little bit more uh, wide shots of it later, but I like the cinematography specifically behind this. Polo wants to march with the 13th at the celebration, but he is no longer a member of the 13th and is not allowed. They keep calling him a citizen, which is definitely the last thing a former soldier I'm noticing wants to be called as Polo and Varinus's reactions each time they were called citizens in different scenarios just did not it almost felt like a dirty word to them to be called citizens yeah no that's great like kudos to you for uh, picking up on that because like there was a couple times um where Caesar when when a legion was being unruly there was a couple times that he would address them as citizens it's like if you're gonna mutiny you know then you're just citizens to me you're nothing to me and that would get them back on his side master of reverse psychology caesar Um. Mm -hmm. caesar is trying on an outfit for the celebration he feels that the one he has been given is too purple and why is purple a problem it because because it's the color of royal theater I said Jupiter. Oh, okay. Jupiter. He, yes, because it makes him look like he's trying to be a god. Yes. Right? Yeah. Antony is commenting that he feels ridiculous that Caesar is wanting to look like Jupiter and play god. However, Caesar feels that he is not playing god. 
Uh, he demands more red than purple in his attire. And in my analysis of this, I actually look at him asking for more red as symbolizing that a lot of blood was spilt in his time with war to get him wanting to his triumph was that a lot of blood was spilt. Yeah. And, and this is another moment where Antony and Caesar once again, have an agreement or sorry, a disagreement that's a little more heated because like Antony's mm-hmm. uh, chuckling at Caesar saying, I want to suggest purple without wearing it. Antony's like Jupiter in life. The resemblance is uncanny. And he's, he's <laughs> chuckling about himself. And Caesar's like, what's so funny. And uh, you know, Antony tries to explain it the way, brush it off, but he says nothing funny about this. This is I'm a not game. playing a game. Yeah. The, I, I had uh, forgotten about the whole, like, where he's like, I'm not playing. I'm curious about how you guys interpreted that. Like, cause he's like, yeah, you're playing God. And he responds with, I'm not playing. I like, couldn't tell if he was saying like, like he was saying, like he thinks of himself as kind of a deity or as more like a, mm. like, I'm not playing because like, this isn't like a game, this is something I'm taking seriously. Like I, I kind of saw both and I was curious uh, what everyone else thought. I see, I see this as a teeny bit of foreshadowing almost between the scene. I'll talk a little bit more about it later, but the scene with Barinas and Posco, where they talk about how a lot of people see Caesar as a demigod. And I think that he says, I, he is not playing God. He thinks he is a God. I thought it was more like, I don't know. I, I interpreted it as, Caesar doesn't play any games. Everything he does is very purposeful and it's not for fun. Like he might be evoking the imagery of a god, but not just for the sake of looking like a god. It's to put a thought in the head of citizens, uh, of, of people. I, I was going to say like it's it's political theater at the highest level. And yes, theater is is playing. But Caesar's at the point where he he has reached the apex of his power. And now if he's really going to invoke his master plan of a 10 year rule where he can lift everybody up, the com- uh, the most common lowest citizens, then he needs everything to go perfectly. Like playtime is over. The game is afoot. No room for mistakes. I think this is all very solid analysis of that line because art is subjective and it can be interpreted in numerous ways of what he means by that. The BP is most correct. <laughs> Going to Brutus, he is suggesting to Servilia that she go out to the country and go outdoors rather than stay inside because it is not good for her. However, Servilia will rise when it's necessary. Uh, upset that Brutus is siding with Caesar, of course, she wants him to go to the celebration and I see this as mostly just to get him out of the house because she is livid with him and does not want to interact with him that much. We go to Octavia where they are putting makeup on her arms for the celebration to hide her scars. And Atia comes in to offer makeup to put makeup on her cheek just to make her more presenting. Uh, and during this moment, Atia is sharing whispers in her ear that she has Miss Octavia. And, oh, this is just Atia just being Atia, acting like she, I don't think she actually missed Octavia, to be per- perfectly honest. Even though she says her being gone looks bad for the family, I don't think she herself missed Adia, Octavia. I think she just missed the image of her family. Cool. I actually somewhat disagree with that. I think to an extent, Atia did miss Octavia. I think she is just like 
as an individual like so like toxic she can't like verbalize that without also like kind of insulting her at the same time she's like yeah i missed like how like gloomy and grumpy you were blah blah so i think it's like kind of an attempt at like affection but she doesn't really know how to say it but i think the intent at least a little bit was there fair enough we see a drunk we hear a drunk man shouting from servilia and brutus's house uh servilia does not let her in but we discover that it is quintus magnus and servilia won't let him in until he starts shouting that he wants to kill caesar quintus magnus pompey what? <laughs> Quintus Pompey, I think, is uh, the most proper name possibly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thank you. But Servilia lets him in and agrees to help him out. She has him bathed and fed. And this is just kind of beginning to uh, show where Caesar's faith is going to be going uh, pretty soon. Well, and like Servilia first says to send Quintus away, but then when Quintus starts yelling, well, gosh, the reason Quintus is there in the first place is because he wants Brutus's, you know, the male senator's protection. And then when he's told he's being sent away, he's like, Brutus, you coward, I will kill Caesar. And that's what gets him the invite from Servilia. And Servilia's like, hold on, this guy's on to something. (laughs) Octavian is putting ox blood onto Caesar's face for makeup for Caesar to wear at his the celebration. It was the first time I watched this. It was very confusing. I was just like, what the heck is going on? Why is somebody walking across just a pool of blood? That was such a cool reveal that it was was cool. Mm -hmm. It was cool. But at first I was a little confused. And then once I realized what was happening, I was like, oh, this is pretty cool. Cole, go ahead. I was just curious because I didn't see do, do we know it was ox blood? I think I missed where that because I, it was blood. Obviously, I just like did they say what it was, or is it just like a, it's a reasonable assumption? I just missed that if they revealed that. Uh, reasonable assumption. Okay, I'm presuming, I'm presuming it was ox blood because from how the show has treated animals and rituals, it is just. And I mean, we've literally seen them do that with a cow. Yeah. With the first episode, Atia gets oh, bathed. Oh yeah. Blood. I forgot about that. Yes. Um, I had a note down for this moment. Uh, I thought it was very touching. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a joke. It's a joke note is what it is. Uh, I thought it was very touching that we got to see Octavian uh, be so, so intimate with his hypothetical lover. <laughs> one of his, one of his two familial love interests. Uh Anyway, onward. Keep riffing. No, keep going. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm already forgetting how to pronounce the King of Balls. Vercingetorix. Vercingetorix is brought out, and I have to say, the music for this sequence is fantastic. I just yeah. like the motifs with it. Uh, he is put onto some kind of noose, and he is being tortured walking across the streets of Rome while the Romans are celebrating in a parade at the celebration. Varinus, I don't know if any of you felt this, did look a little disturbed by what he saw. Didn't really do a whole lot with it, but just looked disturbed by what he saw. Polo is somewhere having a drink. He is seeming a lot of emotions, lost, upset, and need to find something or someone, kind of almost like being at a crossroads. He is aimless, for sure. Yes. Mm -hmm. During this parade and celebration, the Romans are shouting Caesar's name. Once Caesar arrives to a seat, we see Octavia, Atia, Antony, and who 
is the other person Calpurnia, that's Caesar's wife. Calpurnia. Thank you. Okay, that's I what like, I was yeah. thinking, but I, I had kind of forgotten about her, so I didn't remember for sure what she looked like. So so interesting that the uh, um, what's the word now? It's escaping me. The dictator of Rome, uh, and you know the major, most important character in all of this. That his wife is just kind of like uh, has appeared once and is really not that big of a deal. Mm-hmm. The execution of the king of Gauls takes place, and this is Caesar's first big action in his triumph uh the noose chokes the man to death the, the are they are cheering in the crowd and the body is left outside for all to see the newscaster is giving updates on the feast during the time frame and we see the body decaying and having flies go all over this body brutus is wanting quintus to leave his house but servilia wants him to stay because he lights a fire in her, to which Brutus replies, to light more lamps if you are cold. Oh, yeah. This this is this seems like we we talked um before about when Brutus returned from war and like saw his mother, Servilia, and like they didn't utter any words and like we were like talking oh. about our interpretation of it. And we're like, was it just because Servilia seems so like fraught and like um her feelings are so complicated? Because, like, this means Caesar won, blah, 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 blah. Or is it a genuine tension? And this scene, I was like, ah, it was a genuine uh, tension, uh, a piece of conflict between the two. Because... Great point, Jacob. Yes. yes. Mm-hmm. I, I want to note with the end of the triumph, like, um, when when Vercingetorix is ultimately executed, Caesar makes a motion, uh, Vercingetorix killed, he dies. And as Vercingetorix dies, Caesar, like, lets his head drop. And then when Caesar raises his head again, the crowd goes wild. He stands up, the white does fly away. His family also rises. And then what the newsreader was actually saying, I think a scene later, um, it's like it's like uh, Caesar's populous slates being uh, executed upon. All Roman citizens are getting 100 denarii. 20,000 deserving families are being given farms and the rents of all low dwellings or the poorest class are going to be paid in full. So Caesar starting to enact his, his slate uh, that endears him to the common people. Cool. Uh, I don't really have anything about a Caesar's reforms. It's more uh, a question for Kay about a uh, kind of how Roman society worked that is there like a, a defined like, head of household for each for like the families like for each household like it for like a the junii would like servilia be the head of the household or would brutus be the head of the household or like how does that work exactly so like okay i'm not an expert in this but like different there's like different tribes and 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 clans for lack of better words in roman society um and branches um but maybe most summed up is that each family, however you want to define that, has a paterfamilias, the head of the household, the eldest male family member uh, whose word is law within his household, and he could kill his own family members legally if he wanted to. Um, does that help answer your question? Uh, yes, because I was mostly just thinking, like, if Brutus is the head of the junior, like, could he not just kick Quintus Pompey out of his home? And granted, maybe he's not doing it because, like, he still, like, holds affection for his mother and she wants him there. But I was like, if, if it's such a problem that he's there, like, could he not just get rid of him? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I, I would think it's within his power, but you're right. It's the dynamics with his mother that makes him not fully execute upon it. 
Okay. Posco is giving Verena's information regarding the position and how to help Verena's. Verena's does not find this information useful as he has not been elected yet. However, Posco shares that he is essentially will win because the elections are rigged and his opponents are considered straw men. Verena's does not like that the elections are rigged, to which Posco replies that people are not crying out for clean elections. They're crying out for stability and peace. They're crying out for jobs food and food and clear, clean water. You can do great things for your people and says that the other option is going back to his job onto the streets. And I thought that this was a very interesting contrast to talk, not contrast, but an interesting discussion of morality within the Roman society and discussing who, what do they want in terms of honorability? BP, that was like really well said. Like you cut up like a four minute scene into like a one minute rant there. Like that, that's impressive in and of itself. Mm-hmm. But I was also, BP, I was also thinking something similar because um, I think um, uh, I'm okay. Dan Carlin's Hardcore History podcast a while ago talked about the Persian uh, Shah Darius, and he essentially posed the question, if like, if you had a really incredible absolute ruler who could do whatever he wanted, but he really just was an awesome guy, would that be worth it to give up your freedom to let this amazing person do everything you need? And, you know, obviously the world... I, I appreciate has thankfully rejected that for the most part. And yet with the rise of dictatorships in, in the 21st century across the world, it's a, it's an issue, unfortunately, possibly creeping back in uh, to society at large, whether we realize it or not. Um, I don't know if what I said made any sense there, but that's what I thought about. Yeah. Verenus is thinking about this conversation that he just had with Pasco and is ignoring the conversation with Polo. Polo offers to free Irene because he wants to marry her and start a family out in the country. I love her. I've never been so sure of anything in my life. And my funniest moment in this entire episode is just Verenus's line. Congratulations, I suppose. (laughs) Just the way he says it. So dry. So afterthoughty. Just, yeah. I, uh, if I may, I, I hope this is what well i i say this all in the past tense because i have seen the whole episode now but in the moment of watching this i was like man i hope this is really what polo wants this kind of feels like i'm lost at sea and i just need something that looks like a life preserver and i'll grab onto this and oh no actually this is well this is the the metaphor is leaving me but i was gonna say bomb and that, that the won't bomb, help me. bomb at sea yeah that won't help me float to shore the life preserver is actually a bomb oh no that's actually why i commented is the clown um <laughs> i i that's why i mentioned earlier in this episode polo is having a drink he is seeming upset lost in need of something or someone and the reason why i say that is just to kind of foreshadow polo saying he wants to marry irene and uh he does go in to say he is absolutely sure of it like the most sure he's been of anything in his life which reassured me a little bit i was like okay if he is he really thinks this is the solution it must be the solution but i'm kind of getting the bible it's not the solution but well and, and like Verena's like in this whole interaction like you know he is very dry in his congratulations but nonetheless like 
again, we just see the fraternal love that has grown between them. And Marina's mm -hmm. like, I mean, he inquires, he asks questions. You're like, okay, no hesitation. Yeah, I'll yeah. sell you Irene. I'll give you some money. You can marry her after the country. You know what you're doing? I do. Okay, then you do that. And and they hug at the very end. Mm -hmm. It's a, it's really sweet to see. For now. <laughs> uh, Spoiler. Oof. Across town, Brutus meets up with Cicero, and Brutus cracks a joke that Cicero is still in Rome and not in the country, but it is discovered that a pamphlet was released. The pamphlet states a defense of, Rome, of Republican principles against the forces of tyranny, and it is signed in Brutus's name. Brutus confronts Servilia, well, and we finally hmm. meet the man, the myth, the legend that has been brought up on this podcast a few times. We meet Cassius for the first time. We don't learn what? much about Cassius. The no, I don't think you're, we've ever oh, talked about him. You're thinking BP of Crassus, the, dead, of the guy that I'm pretty sure is dead. Cassius was brought up, though. I mean, Cassius oh. has been mentioned. Okay, never mind then. Jacob, did you have something to say, though? I did, because we should be very clear about what this pamphlet means and what it's implying, right? This is suggesting, now correct me if I'm wrong, but it is suggesting for the uh, 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 hmm, assassination of one Gaius Julius Caesar. I I didn't take assassination. I I th I took it as um continue the conflict against him cannot mm. allow him to keep ruling. I suppose that's my take. Although okay. Jacob, yeah, do you want to explicate what what makes you think assassination? Um, just. History. <laughs> <laughs> not not much context given within the show. I was just like, I don't know. There's a pamphlet being passed around. People are always conspiring to kill people all the time. And and uh yeah, it's, it's, that's probably what it means. Okay, know, okay. Defend the republic, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera, whatever words it uses against tyranny. How do you defend things? You kill things. I that, that that's the Roman way. Um, I also mm -hmm. really like how just sly Cicero is in this whole interaction. He's like, "You sly dog, I, I could have helped you out. Why didn't you let me know?" I, yeah. I think we're keeping this on the DL. Um, yeah, it was nice. I also uh, thought it was kind of funny when they're having this uh, discussion that Cicero's like, "Yeah, like the the wording kind of sucked, but it's a good message." It's like <laughs> it's just so funny knowing that Servilia wrote it. We go to Brutus conversing with Servilia. He tells his mother that he might be killed for her act. She does not seem entirely opposed to the idea of this. You are looking to your own comfort. I am looking to history, she tells her son. Before suggesti suggesting he do what his father would have done, run Caesar out of Rome, but Brutus won't have any part of her insanity. And I swear, I do believe we do meet Cassius in this episode. No, you're right. No, yeah, we, we definitely do. Yeah, we do, but, but just, you were just misremembering as uh, Crassus is the one we've talked about a few times. Yeah, we have not okay. been eagerly anticipating Cassius. Well, you could okay. have been. I don't know. Well, maybe, yeah. Um, okay, I'm with you now. I have a new opinion, and it is that Servilia is uh, the worst character, and not in that, like, she's the most poorly written character, but she is evil, and mm -hmm. I despise her now. Um because she used my good friend Octavia as a tool 
And now she's like, hey, Brutus, I want Julius Caesar dead. So uh, wouldn't it be cool if, like, I just kind of threw you under the bus for all of this? And, like, who cares if Caesar might kill you for conspiring against him? It's it's in your bloodline. Come on, Brutus. Us uh, Brutuses, uh, we've been kicking out, uh, you know, uh, Roman, quote, unquote, kings uh, for ages now. And it's bad. It is very bad and very mean and well mean seems like an understatement it is vile hold up so this is what drew the line for you not her telling octavia to seduce your that brother was the, that was the first <laughs> bad thing she did she that was the first bad thing and even then i was at the point where i thought maybe she was just clouded by bad judgment blah, 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 blah. she but, doubled down yeah no uh, i agree i think she's a kind of and also like just like her like basically like not thinking about her own actions but like yeah us like uni i have like been chasing out like the the bad people that like try to like destroy the republic views when her entire thing is that she's a spurned lover and that's it but mm-hmm. also like with uh, her like being like one of the worst characters i think that's just been hidden from us just because like atia has been so antagonistic to her that like we like we were introduced pretty much like oh atia like isn't a great person so like whoever like she's like railing against is someone we should probably be rooting for her counterpart must be Uh, great (laughs) yeah um righty i i think it's also worth mentioning that in servilia's attempt to convince brutus to like follow through execute this uh lead this charge she mentions like it's not just cassius it's not just quintus there's lots of smart men who are secretly on our sides but need your leadership and name and brutus still he's like no we cannot do this um but oh it's also worth mentioning as well that um he appears to have like a a prior like friendship to cassius they greet each other kindly Mm -hmm. like that's the kindness interaction throughout that entire scene i think also this just came back in my head. I feel like this is a, a good point to reflect and remember deep into the annals of Rome, the HBO show's history, all the way back to episode one, where we're introduced to Brutus. We he did, you know, he's relatively minor in the scope of the show and in that episode as well, because we have to introduce a lot of faces. But there's a conversation had at a dinner party where he's basically like, oh, no, I would I don't see myself ever getting into politics. That that seems awful. And here he is all this time later. He is a senator and people are looking to him to make decisions that will potentially affect the fate of the uh, entire civilization the entire city you know jacob i i would argue honestly that uh brutus still he's trying to absolve himself as as much responsibility as possible like the extent to his political involvement is being on caesar's side and trying to make sure Mm. everyone else is so that peace can be achieved after this horrific civil war Mm. that is my argument at least i i mean i i guess i see that but just like other people don't Mm. expect that of him still he maybe he is internally staying consistent but like yeah yeah i was just gonna say because you're talking where he's like yeah like i don't want to be a politician that seems awful i think he still thinks that <laughs> yeah. arguably more so now, with now what he's, he's like, dealing with he's like yeah this sucks <laughs> like why do he's like i don't understand why caesar wants to rule over rome just this amount of power i have sucks yeah yes uh we go to verinus and polo Going to free Irene, 
Polo brings a white, I'm presuming it's a wedding dress, a white wedding dress for Irene to deliver the news. Irene well, is hold on, hold on, hold on. There's this excellent scene at the actual slave registrar when uh, Verena mm-hmm. is transferring mm-hmm. ownership to him. Like, uh, it gets Polo's turn to sign. The guy's like, any kind of Mike will do. He doesn't expect that Polo can write his name. Polo's like, I can write my name as good as the next man. And it really <laughs> makes... I, I, I'm pretty sure Polo's illiterate because like when he's on the atoll on the beach stranded with Varinas, he's like, hey, could you write a note to Arini? Like, I don't think we've ever actually seen Polo read or write. That could be the case. Is that your funniest moment, Kay? <laughs> no, mine was earlier. This is a good runner up That's though. Right. Uh, Polo brings the dress. Uh, Irini thinks that she is being sold to another owner, but he... Uh, Polo is trying to clear that up right away, and Irene is ecstatic. However, this excitement between the two of them does not last long. A slave named Oedipus... Wait, 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 wait. Sorry, I have to say something before we get any further. Um, I just, I wrote down, I was like, oh, Polo is so happy. He seems so genuinely happy. And mm-hmm. I know in a matter of moments, this is going to go deeply wrong. And uh, then this guy you're about to describe is, starts talking. And I'm like, I already know exactly what's going to happen. And I wrote down, yeah. oh, no, frowny face. And then uh, <laughs> more events happen. And I wrote down, oh, no, all caps. So I'll let you go ahead and detail well, what this is. I, I wanted to throw out as well. It's like the what Arini is saying to Polo. She's like, uh, you're the kindest man in the world. I love you. Kisses him on the cheeks. Mm-hmm. And like, yeah. I, I know the last time we actually saw them together was was as we said it it was like a non-consensual sex scene and then like this change forward i'm like i i guess there was some kind of development and they do have feelings and in a relationship right now and stuff and like i, I was think it's like i know something goes wrong for polo i don't but it seems like he and arena yeah they get married what goes wrong with it and i was like oh no even even in that moment i knew like just with the dynamic is like irene was saying oh i love you as like you're i you are a good friend you, i am mm. grateful for you being my master all that it yeah, I don't know. I, I had the read on it the whole time. Mm-hmm. We meet the slave. His name is Oedipus. Do we get his name? I don't remember that. It, it is credited as that. Yes. Huh. Oh, okay. Cool. Missed that. He comes to thank Polo. We had thought to take the Varina's name as our own when we became freedmen, but Irene says it must be under your name that she becomes my wife. So I hope you'll agree. Barely grasping this news, Polo flies into a rage, pummeling the young boy against a tree until he is lifeless. Call him. I wouldn't call him a young boy. With Cole this... and I are disagreeing about different things. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was definitely not a tree. But, I mean, functionally the same thing, I suppose. And very truly semantic. An object to be uh, bashed against. I-, I wrote down that Polo Mortem Ex Machina is back. Yep. Mm-hmm. My emotions are complex. Might as well kill. <laughs> <laughs> with this, Varinus reaches the end of his rope with his friend. You do this vileness before my children. As Irene shrieks and wails over her dead lover, words between Varinus and Polo escalate. You're a damned fool. The disrespect, the dis- the stupidity. I'm a candidate for magistrate, and I can't have killings in my yard. Polo cuts Verenus to the bone, and here you are, you with you, your nice, clean white toka stays clean no matter how deep you wade with 
in filth. Time was, you said Caesar was a rebel and traitor. Now today he tosses you a little coin and some farmland, and he's a and he's savior for of the Republic. Lost for words in his own defense, Varinus tries to fight him, but Polo refuses and leaves. This scene is, is kind of darkly hilarious if you want to reframe it like that, because Arini comes screaming at uh, Oedipus's bastion skull. Uh, Varinus's children are screaming. Varinus runs out. He's like, "What happened?" and <laughs> and Polo's like, I killed him. I did it. And Venus is like, I can see that. Why? <laughs> There's also that. And, and Polo points he... like, him and Arini were lovers. <laughs> and uh, Verena says, so what? You still could have done what you wanted. And Polo's like, I loved her. Venus is like, this is how you show it? It's like, it's it's such a good needling into Polo before Polo mm-hmm. needles into Verena's about his mm, hypocrisy. Mm-hmm. And it's also that part where he tell where Varinus just kind of overwhelmed and frustrated by everything that he's witnessing. He just tells Irene to stop crying and stop grieving, essentially. Yeah. Wailing out loud. Cole, go ahead. I kind of thought like because Polo was uh, pretty angry with Varinus. I thought we were going to get a, a a toddler Lucius uh re- info reveal oh Ellie was gonna be so mad that he's like yeah you think things are going so well for you let me just drop this on you i really i really hope that this is not the permanent breaking point for Frenus and polo this just there though this it make me so sad yeah but, they've been the most stable relationship in the show but this was this is a pretty serious tiff man mm-hmm. yep. Oh, and, and the way that Varinus frames it as well, it's like, it's just once again a reminder of the scumminess of Roman society. He's like, that man was my property that you killed. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Go to the Senate chambers. Brutus goes to Caesar to set the record straight on the pamphlet. Having adopted a more imperious tone since his anointment, Caesar tells Brutus he believes him, though he seems suspicious. I wonder who it was. I wonder who it was wrote this. He, Brutus shakes his head. I wish I knew. And this is where I call cut to a brief moment, which I call a Goodfellas moment, where the King of Gaul's body is just thrown and was essentially the garbage, but his body is taken. At, cut the idea for a brief second, joining Octavia in bed. Hand up. I'm raising my hand for this scene. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I think this this scene, I was like, what's going on? Wait, does did does Atia is she actually showing genuine affection towards Octavia? Because mm-hmm. she gains nothing from holding her in her sleep because Octavia is asleep. And I'm like, this goes against everything I know about this woman or thought I knew about this woman. And so, um, and we were talking about uh, Atia's, you know, genuine quote unquote feelings uh, towards family and loving and all that earlier. And I actually think that um, perhaps there is some, she did genuinely miss Octavia because this, I guess, suggests that it, it shows that even the evil people 
I have feelings, I guess. I, I thought I was going to tie that bow up a little smoother, but yeah. <laughs> there's the conclusion. I, I don't know what you mean, Jacob. That was eloquent. Another, it's another uh, life preserver bomb, I guess. <laughs> yeah. No, Jacob, I, I totally agree with your point there. Um, and I also wanted to mention, in between Verse and Gedrix's body being dropped in the dump, there's actually a quick cut to Servelia being made up, and it's like it kind of shows her progression from the start of the episode where she was recoiled in bed still recovering and now she's up and active and putting on her face um getting ready to make political moves as we've been seeing and then it's the adia scene um and then it's something of a funeral right bp yes yes in the woods outside rome the body uh rescued from the trash heap in the city is cremated dozens of gauls have gathered for a ceremony to pay revenance for their fa- fallen ruler and then lost in drunken oblivion, politics refuge in the taverns again, too poor to even encourage the prostitutes. He is approached by Erastes, who offers him a job. I'm a soldier, not a murderer, Polo responds, barely alert. In times like these, Polo, is there any really any difference? The crime lord responds. Polo appears to mull his offer before passing out. End of episode. He's going to um, take that job. Yep. Yeah. Polo says, like, you know, he's trying to put off Erastus. He doesn't want work. Polo says, uh, I'm doing fine. I've got plenty of irons in the fire. And I didn't realize he was quoting our very own Cole there. <laughs> but uh, it just stinks so hard that after this big fight, this after our good friends, our uh, uh, Polo and Verenus break up to, to say, um, is going to find employment by the person who is like most morally or virtuously opposed to Varenus's uh, mor- uh, morals and virtues and it's just it stinks and I know it's coming and it just smells bad and I don't like it and it's gonna it's, make me feel bad it's definitely and plus I bet that Erastes' first job for Polo is going to be you have to go kill Varinus. Oh, yeah. I don't think that'll be the first job. I, I think that somewhere along the line, there's going to be a conflict that stems from that. Yeah, oh, yeah absolutely. So, yes. guys, quick vibe check on the episode as a whole. I'll happily start by saying, um, you know, it's, uh, it's better than last week. It's better than last week. This felt like more of the regular fare of Rome that doesn't... Um, put a pit in my stomach making me watch it it was it was a really good episode this is in my top five i really liked this episode i think that you could look at the title of triumph and think of it in numerous ways for caesar is it the triumph of him gaining the power in rome is it the triumph that after all these years he has kept with his power and triumphed over all these obstacles that have been thrown to him and he's just outsmarted all of them there's a lot of things that you can think about with that title of triumph um well actually before i get to my thoughts on the episode i i'm thinking back to the triumph and i i don't know i don't think we made point to point out that the triumph is uh this specific triumph is not a celebration of caesar's victory over pompey but rather his victory over the Gauls, right? Yes. Oh my God, Jacob, that's yeah. such a good point. Yes, two years yes. later. 
Yeah, and it's it's again, you know, it's it's quite funny to think about because it, it has been such a long time since that battle. But Caesar, this is part of Caesar's game where he's like he's not going to celebrate killing Romans, and, and so the triumph is for killing Gallic people. But nonetheless, shows that he's ascendant. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, and as for my thoughts on the episode, I kind of thought it was a bit of a yawner. Truth be told, um, until we got to the the very dramatic polo scene where he kills the slave boy, and then that scene had me feeling things. Um, but the rest, I I thought it was fine. But I was just kind of, uh, you know, along for the ride and not too blown away by. This is what no Cleopatra does to us. Exactly. I Jacob, (laughs) this I'm gonna harken back to something where we talked about earlier in this episode with Niobe, uh, standing up for Varinus during his speech. Are you going to stand up for this episode during my speech? (laughs) No. (laughs) I want to say, after much thought with this episode, even though Niobe only appears briefly with Varinus, I am, what the kids say, I am a stand for this relationship for as the time has progressed on. Definitely not for the first few episodes, but looking back on that episode where we kind of got into a little bit of a heated debate about whether or not the yeah. relationship took like a little bit of a backtrack or not. I am more on board with this. And looking back on that episode, I feel more on board with it. Excellent. I'm glad to hear you ship it. I am kind of in the same boat as Jacob. It felt uh, kind of boring at times, but I did like the episode. And I felt it had a lot of like really cool moments that I'm excited to talk about later. Okay. Okay. Um, well, we will get breaking out here, guys. Uh, basically, Cole and BP, I've got two questions for you. There are two episodes left in this first season. What do you think is upcoming uh, that we're going to see? And specifically, what developments do you think that we will see in the polo Varinus relationship? And where might the season end with those two? Are they going to be enemies? Are they going to reunite? Is one or both of them possibly going to be dead? I would like to hear your thoughts on what their fate may be by the end of the season and um, anything else you want to you know, get in there before we get to the finale in two episodes, basically. So let me go ahead and get you guys out here. Bye, Mommy and Daddy. Good birthday! Such an odd sensual <laughs> voice. I don't know. I don't know so, why. So, Jacob, I did not have... I did not have much history. Necessarily. I didn't either, and I I think I I um well I'm not I've I, I think I jumped the shark rather on the one historical thing I could have utilized with the <laughs> the the triumph being over a Gallic victory and not a Roman victory, um or uh, okay. a Roman victory over Gaul and not a Roman victory over Rome, um yeah otherwise no, that's still that was still an appropriate analysis to make yeah know, before our but it's uh. It could have been used here, and I've already talked about it. So, but no, otherwise, I don't really think I have much of anything. Um, I guess I have a question, perhaps. Then, sure. the funeral scene for Vercingetorix, um, mm. was that that wasn't Romans? I wouldn't imagine. Was that like Gallic people in Rome like took his body? Yeah, no, that's how I took okay. it because like they're are occasionally like Gallic people in Rome and also slaves is what I really, really imagine it was Mm -hmm. like, it was, you know, the captured slaves that were honoring him and stuff like that. So when BP said they were Gauls, I was like, yeah, yeah, I think he's totally right Mm -hmm. there. 
the one thing that I had um, that was I thought worth discussing was that Brutus, the, the way that it is trending, because we can infer that Brutus is going to play a part in killing Caesar um, yeah. at some point in the series. But it appears that in the show, it's presenting us that Brutus is pushed into a corner by his mother, that Brutus like legitimately worries, uh, I could get killed for this pamphlet you wrote. And Sophia's like, all the more reason that you should join this side here. And it's, uh, it's a departure from the real history where Brutus was more motivated on his own and by his appreciation for Cato that he had mm -hmm. held. And gosh, what you were saying, Jacob, about the triumphs or the triumph that Caesar held over the Gauls. I, if I recall correctly, this may may make me seem like a bad uh, content creator, but I'm pretty sure that this triumph that Caesar held would have been in real life the first in a series of four triumphs that Caesar had held because he held one um, for victory over the Gauls, for one for victory in Egypt, one for victory in Asia, and he also, if I remember correctly, had a fourth for victory over Pompey's Spanish legions, which was actually directly I beat Romans and I defeated them, mm. which was pretty unprecedented. But Caesar also had four uh, triumphs to get one more than Pompey did, because Pompey's That's big right. claim to fame was that he had tr three triumphs on the three different continents, and uh, Caesar won him over by one. So I'm pretty sure, shooting from the hip, I got that correctly. Um, I'm pretty sure this is the only triumph we'll see from Caesar. But mm -hmm. anything else worth discussing, you think, here, Jacob? I do not think so oh actually one thing appeared in my head that um i want to shout out there so i i had noted earlier that uh vercingetorix's body was uh dropped in the waist and then it cut to servilia being made up i thought that was like really really clever really really subtle foreshadowing that a king is disposed of and put in a dump and it cuts to servilia who is going after Caesar? Oh, uh, wow! She's she's getting That's ready. Good. She's getting made up. That's for, good stuff. For political theater and war. Yeah, yeah. Uh, appreciate it. Appreciate it. Okay. Although maybe uh, maybe it's apt to say historically that maybe Servilia didn't probably have that much to do with Caesar's eventual death. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and it's because like they never had, as far as I know, a big falling out or anything like that. So mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, it's it's real hard to say. But all right, we will get uh, the boys, the the sons back in. Do you have a favorite son between our two? <laughs> I mean, one of them is uh, my yeah. fraternal yeah. son. Um, sounds weird to say. <laughs> mommy and daddy. Isn't it really? Yeah. We had a good day at school. We all learned right, a this lot. Getting too weird. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that's why I like stopped making that joke. <laughs> so so fellas um what what are some thoughts here we got a couple minutes left i want to hear where you think we got uh, what's going to happen these last two episodes i i believe i said it pro i said at one point it probably wouldn't happen until season two i believe it's going to be the finale of this episode now i believe the ides of march is going to conclude this season okay and i firmly believe that varinas and polo are going to May not have a hundred percent of their relationship recovered by the end of the season, but it will be better. I am thinking more like I could absolutely see it uh, being the finale. I could see maybe next episode being the Ides of March, and then uh, the like the finale being kind of the fallout after that. 
And uh, I also said that uh, I think Varinus and Polo are going to be like adversarial for like this next episode and maybe a decent chunk of the, the finale, but they'll like to an extent, at least work things out by the end. I also told BP about a, an idea that I think could be interesting for like the characters don't think it's going to happen, but I think it would be neat if like the finale Varinus died because uh, like, I feel like Polo kind of looks to Varinus as like an older brother figure, like someone to like look up to someone to model himself after like a good Roman. And I feel like Polo tries to do that to an extent. Doesn't always succeed as seen in this episode, but I think he tries to like, I think losing that kind of like ideal of morality, like in his life would be an interesting like character arc for Polo. Don't think it's going to happen, but it would be cool. Yeah. Yeah. That interesting musings there, Cole and BP. Um, so uh, I see Ides of March is definitely on your guys's radar. Anything else that could occur to uh, any other characters you think, or worth calling it there? I, I'm very curious to see how Mark Antony views Caesar after these last, in these next couple of episodes because you can already tell there's a little bit of a strain with Mark Antony talking about Caesar wanting to play God and see and Mark Antony kind of has to brush off like a joke even though he kind of looks like he has this concern on his face but that's just how I saw it but I'm ex- I'm interested to see uh Jacob any any uh reactions you want to give to to the boys hmm. there um no reactions. If not, that's no reactions. Fun. Although, I think I just remembered a historical thing that I can mm. speak of in front of the two of them that I would like to mention, if that is fair. Yeah. Um, I thought it was a good, uh, or like, so there's the scene where Caesar is adorning the, or trying on clothes for the triumph, and he adorns the purple, and they're discussing like, oh, you, you look godly. And that was, that's like another thing that occurred, right? I think maybe there was like... I might be conflating this with another individual, but there was like a wedding where like people dressed up and assumed the images of gods and people did not like it so much. Uh, yes, I think, yes, Am I yes. Conflating? We maybe talked about that privately uh, a couple episodes ago, Jacob, but yes, okay. I, I remember what you're talking about. Yeah. Okay. All right, guys. So we will get into the segment of the show where we talk about our least favorite and favorite moments from the episode. And oh my God, it took us 10 episodes, but apparently no one had a least favorite moment from the episode, which is jaw dropping to me because two people said, you know, they weren't too hot to trot about it. And also I Polo ranks fairly highly per capita on favorite characters list. And we saw him at his most violent murder a man in cold blood and no one is going to bring that up as like a possible issue like i mean uh see here's the problem with that k i'm going to use that as my favorite moment <laughs> so <laughs> that was one of the ones i had listed there that i wanted to talk about <laughs> well i got it covered for you so don't worry excellent all right well we'll just we'll just freaking move on then as, as always should be said rome is a incredibly morally gray show and you know these aren't real people uh they're they're characters of historical figures but not real anyways um Kay, what was your favorite moment thank you Kay. i'll go ahead and share <laughs> so my favorite moment believe it or not was the triumph of julius caesar bp had noted that that music kicking in was awesome apparently the soundtrack isn't available on spotify which is a big bummer but I would like to uh, 
uh, find that again someday. And really, I just wanted to note that the visual imagery communicates so much of what you need to know, because honestly, the entire triumph is basically wordless, except for people yelling and chanting for Caesar's name. Um, I really liked how everybody is dressed and not just how dripped out Caesar and his familial boxes, but uh, I like Niobe and their children. You especially see it like this is Niobe um, getting all made up a ton and stuff like her children are also very well dressed. So you kind of get the mm -hmm. sense as to how big a deal this is, how big a public showing this is. Uh, Varinus is in his white candidate toga. So he's also on the campaign. I got to give a shout out to Mark Antony and his like purple generals like outfit he's got like black body armor with like a uh, purple trimming and everything on that and stuff it's really awesome the romans savagely wanting to see vercingetorix dead it it goes to show the violence that they crave in their culture and that they celebrate that this represents the defeat the ultimate defeat and subjugation of an enemy that they brought him hundreds of miles from his homeland down to here kept him alive for years just to be strangled uh in front of them and they go absolutely nuts for it it's uh it's an entirely entirely different world and arguably the origin of our modern parades <laughs> yeah right yeah Let's go my favorite moment in this episode is the scene between pasco and varinas i like we, pause we gotta we gotta pasca yeah i was gonna make that joke at the end it was like a drinking game for the episode take a shot every time says Posco instead of Posco. Don't you mean BP, dang it. <laughs> hey, drinking game. Every time, take a shot every time Cole says <laughs> the wrong names for K and BP. <laughs> That'd probably be about, about three over the course of the the show yeah, that's pretty good cole's not cole's done a good job it's me who kind of is like all over the place with those <laughs> anyway go ahead BP sorry to interrupt I just had to had to make sure Posco was named correctly. Well, my favorite scene is the scene between Varinus and Pasca. Uh, <laughs> uh, okay, never you again. The, <laughs> you have to bring the mix down in that portion of the audio. Yeah. Okay. I act like I'm hostile. It was just 100% a joke. Anyways, the scene that I love in this episode is that scene because, like Kay had mentioned, there's a lot of morally gray characters in the show. And I think Pasca not necessarily enables the idea of uh, being a great character, but enables the concept of the world being so morally gray. And he talks about how they don't want good elections. They just want food. They just want money. They just want the people to get what they, they just, the people just want what they are being promised. And I think that shows the gray ambiguity of the Roman citizens and also the gr moral uh, gray areas of our own society where yeah. we talk about certain things and then we can seem kind of hypocritical by saying we want these other things but not these things and I think that just shows more of the gray area rather than hypocrisy and I think Posca brings a lot of philosophical discussion to it yeah I, I love I love that I love that line that you pointed out uh, it is so powerful and like I'm glad you draw the comparison to like even our modern day because I heard that line I immediately started thinking of myself like wow do I actually care about fair elections or do I just want people to make a living wage by any means necessary interesting hmm. it, it's worth noting there may or may not be a photoshopped image of Jacob at the January 6th <laughs> 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 
Um, oh, I guess I'm next if BP, you are done with your favorite. Yes, I am. That's my favorite moment, though. Yes, well, as I alluded to, my favorite moment is a very long, drawn-out scene um, because we, at the beginning, we are start our roller coaster on a high. We're rising, and Polo is like, Irene, I'm freeing you. Go try on this dress. And then Pol- Polo brutally murders her fiancé. And, uh, you know, the rest, which we've already gone into detail, the fight with Varinas and all that. And uh, it, it does feel slightly wrong to make it a favorite moment because it is deeply uh, unsettling. But I, I don't know, like when it comes to consuming media, not television, because I don't watch it, <laughs> BP. Uh, <laughs> but when consuming media, I... I don't know. I feel like I must give kudos to the things that make me react the strongest. And in watching this scene and watching this character that I'm rooting for, Pullo, and seeing him so happy and so instantly see afterwards like him at his most deprived and like that puts in to question his friendship with Varinus. It's just like I almost physically felt my stomach not up with how like sad and uncomfortable it all made me just to see it all unraveling for Polo and, and to a, a small extent, Varinus too, uh, because, you know, just that friendship that has been built up over so many years. And yeah, it was just, it was deeply emotional and I felt it on a physical level. Mm. I, uh, before I go to my stuff, I'd like to add a little bit to that. Uh, I also had this, scene is one of my favorites that I wanted to talk about because I think that because this is such like a character low for Polo I think that makes this like a fantastic character like moment because like you want to see like good character development for a character and I think uh, an important part of that is like they they stumble they fall sometimes Mm -hmm. they they don't end up being like as good as you want them to be and I think that this is a great example that Polo has been like down in the dumps like the whole episode then like he feels like things are getting better and then it just like he watches it like shatter in front of him with the reveal that like they intend to get married and I also think it's like a kind of a powerful thing where like it was very clearly to me like a, an in the moment rage thing because like oh, as yeah. he's leaving he like I felt genuinely like he apologized to Arini like mm-hmm. he was like I think if he'd had like not like if he found out about this not in front of them I think he could have had time to collect himself and it wouldn't have played out like this. Absolutely. Yeah. It's just so ingrained into his nature. It's, it's unfortunate. And I, I did also, mm-hmm. gosh, I feel so bad for Irene, like the emotional whiplash yeah. that must be like, Oh, this guy freed me. Uh, I'm no longer a slave. That is like the highest high she has probably ever experienced in her life. Uh, probably dreamt of that moment forever. And then you come back and Oh, that man who just freed you, just brutally murdered your husband essentially and it's you just that's something that sits with you the rest of your life you're like why would he do that that's awful because i mean maybe irene is wise enough to infer that polo had feelings for her but uh i don't know i feel like it's more likely that she didn't so yeah that sucks sorry uh go ahead cole finish your your musings on your favorite scenes all right. Thank you. So uh, that was one of the three I had listed, but I had three because there were three scenes that I felt like needed to be talked about. My second one is it's a small one. It's just at the funeral for Versing Jetterix because like 
it's a character we haven't really seen much of and she's like kind of like oh it's just some guy like caesar beat the crap out of in a war but like the funeral like showed like all oh, like his people like respected him and like despite like being slaves that they still like take this time to like yeah he was like a our king and we cared for him like he was good to us and he tried to fight even if he lost so like that it just felt like a, a good moment that he like got to have that like funeral and it's like okay yeah i'm i'm glad things worked out not great but like better than one would have expected and my final scene is the whole thing after brutus finds out about this uh, pamphlet that his mother wrote in his name where he goes and just like rants against her because i feel like this is like a our first time like brutus has kind of like gone against his mother which uh, i was very happy about and i'd I want to see more development there. I'm not sure we'll get it, but I was just, I was really proud of Brutus for like standing firm on this about like how angry he was about it. And I was just, I was proud of our uh, politically ambivalent young man. All right. Well, fellas, thank you for sharing. We will get into one of the final quizzes that we will uh, do for uh, this first season here. The stakes are at an all time high. Mm -hmm. All right, folks, these current standings at the present. Uh, Jacob with 29.5 points. It pays to listen to DOTRR. Not that BP and Cole are allowed to presently. BP at 27 points. Cole minus one at 26 points. Could we see some change-ups this episode? It is quite possible. They're on the range of five. Question one is going to BP here. In the show, it is not mentioned, but in real life, Brutus was related to Cato the Younger. How were Brutus and Cato related? Cato was Brutus's uncle, Cato was Brutus's father, Cato was Brutus's grandfather, or Cato was Brutus's cousin. BP, your response. I'm going to guess A. All right, that Cato was Brutus's uncle. Cole, how about you? I'm going to say Cato was Brutus's cousin. Cousin. All right. And how about you, Jacob? I feel like you mentioned this to me last episode. Um, <laughs> I don't remember it entirely, so I'm going to say Cato was Brutus's uncle. Uncle, all right. Cato was indeed Brutus's uncle. Point for BP, Dang point it. for Jacob. Cole, mm -hmm. you are to answer first now. In the show, Brutus appears to be a bachelor, but in real life he was married. Who was he married to, and who was her father? He was married to Julia the Younger, daughter of Caesar. He was married to Tolia, daughter of Cicero. He was married to Octavia, daughter of Adia. Or he was married to Portia, daughter of Cato. Cole's to answer first. I'm going to go with Tolia. Married to Tolia, daughter of Cicero. How about you, BP? I'm also going to go with Tolia. All right. Uh, Tolia, daughter of Cicero. And Jacob? I'm going to say Tolia. All right. We got a three-peat and... Guys, this is a case of kissing cousins. Uh, Brutus was married to Cato's daughter, Portia. Um, so, okay. Yeah. See, I should have known. They were, um, I, and I should, to, to fully clarify, Servilia and Cato the Younger were half-siblings. So, I mean, not quite fully biologically cousins, but nonetheless, mm. ah, a, little, a little incestuous. Uh, okay, so, now this, this is a guy that knows how to marry his cousin. Yeah, yeah. All right. Um, let's see. BPs, you are answer first. In the show, Antony appears to be a bachelor, but in real life, he was married. At the time of Caesar's triumph, who was he married to? Zatharis, Cornelia, Fulvia, or Arsinoe? BP, you are answer first. I'm going to guess B, Cornelia, because that's the only name I know. All right. How about you, Cole? I'm going to say Fulvia. Fulvia? All right. And how about you, Jacob? I think it's Fulvia or Arsinoe. I'm going to go Arsinoe. Going with Arsinoe. One person got this correct. 
It is Fulvia. Cole, you got this correct. <sighs> Two to go here, guys. Uh, this will be Cole's answer first. Gaius Cassius Longinus was a Pompeian and respected in the Roman military for leading survivors back to friendly territory after disaster in what territory? Uh, there was disaster in Parthia, Gaul, Spain, or Egypt that Cassius led Romans back from. Cole, your answer first. Leaning towards Parthia. Parthia. All right. BP, how about you? Oh, I'm going to guess Parthia as well. Parthia and Jacob. The, the Romans lost an eagle in Parthia. <laughs> um, shout out Zach Braff. Oh, I hope you're doing well, man. All right. Yeah, that's is that the second episode we referenced Zach Braff in a row? I mean, Lawrence Pugh, will I you marry so. me? <laughs> All right. Uh, final question. BP to answer first. In the show, Vercingetorix is shown to be strangled during Caesar's triumph. How did Vercingetorix actually die? He died in captivity as Caesar was fighting Pompey. He was beheaded immediately after he surrendered to Caesar in Gaul. He was beheaded at the triumph or he was strangled after the triumph. I'm going to guess D. He was strangled after the triumph. Okay. How about you, Cole? A. Feels like it makes the most sense to me. All right. Died in captivity as Caesar was fighting Pompey. And Jacob? I believe he was beheaded immediately after he surrendered to Caesar in Gaul. All right. One person got that correct. It was BP. Vercingetorix was kept alive oh. and he was strangled after the triumph. He was paraded around town, shown to be in chains. And then when the ceremony is all said and done, uh, then he was strangled to death. So... Thank you for playing, folks. Uh, let me count this up really quick because... It's close now. It's really I'll tight. I'll do the math later. BP, you might have just edged out a single point above Jacob. That or it's about tight. Anyways. All right. Well, guys, we will kind of get into the wrap-up right now. Next week, we are going to be viewing the penultimate episode of HBO's Realm Season 1, which is season one episode 11 the spoils tweet your thoughts to at dotrrpod on twitter if you want to learn more about the real history roughly the first half of death of the roman republic chapter 14 dictator for life covers this um this episode was another one that had a lot of invented history in it so just keep that in mind please leave rating on apple Podcasts if you're able to and my fellow host do you have anything that you would like to promote this week What's up, ladies and gentlemen? My name is Jacob. You can follow me at Twitter at, at SoupCatfishYolo. Um, today, I'm going to reference or point you in the direction of my music YouTube channel. Uh, Cobb does music because uh, the day of recording, we're a day after uh, a full year of Lord's album Solar Power being out. And I did a 59-minute deep dive into that album and its themes over there and i rewatched the first half of it this morning and i was surprised to see that it's i it's actually good what i made <laughs> so if you're interested in that i don't know why you would be where's the the correlation between these two interests a podcast about rome and uh, a new zealand pop star who knows but Cobb does music is the place to watch like that. Le legitimately shouting it out i'm not really a fan of lord's music i barely know the hits but jacob's video was really awesome and really compelling even if you know nothing about her discography so uh yes go check out that youtube channel follow me on letterbox bp oil spill 98 i haven't updated a whole lot of it recently but i plan to do so this week since i have gotten some things under control in terms of work and moving that that has to do with uh, the florence pew news <laughs> <laughs> yeah 
moving into Florence Pugh's apartment. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, know. Yeah, sure, yeah. Sure, because, because they're getting married. Yeah. yeah. And I'll be at the uh, world premiere at <laughs> Don't Worry, Darling. Don't worry. <laughs> you can follow me on Twitter at Lil Bordy. That is L I L underscore B O R T Y. That's all I got. Well, with all that being said, friends, Romans, countrymen, I hope you enjoyed the show. Ba, 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 boom, boom, boom. All right, that one.